The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Let me read God's word over you. We actually covered verses 3 and 4 last week. But I'd like to read them again uh, just to make sure that we get the context of where we'll pick up today in verse 5 and going through verse 11. So 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 uh, is where I'll begin. Here's what the word of the Lord says. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So, summarize, God's given you everything that you need to be shaped into Christ's likeness and to ultimately experience the fullness of his likeness in the divine nature when Jesus comes back. He's given you everything that you need. So Peter says, under the inspiration of the Spirit in verse 5, for this reason, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Supplement knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Supplement godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. Notice how the first five on that list of seven really have to do with our relationship with God and his character being manifest in our side. Those last two have to do with our relationship with one another. On a horizontal level. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My estimation, one of the most profound statements Jesus ever made came after a long day of ministry in the town of Capernaum. He had started teaching in the synagogues. There in the synagogues, he encountered a demon and he went head to head in spiritual warfare and he cast a demon out of a guy. He went home after church, if you will, to Peter's house and there he, he, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he did some pastoral visitation and pastoral care and healing and, and then the, the rest of the day, late into the night, people were lined up at his door. And he cast out demons, he healed epileptics, he, 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 he ministered to people late into the night, manifesting his power. And the next day, Mark tells us in his gospel, a day which Jim Shaddix probably would have slept late because it had been such a long day before, the text says that 
In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out, departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. The disciples came looking for him. They interrupted his quiet time. They found him and they told him, the whole city is looking for you. They're lined up. What you gave them yesterday, they want some more of today. And there are more people that didn't get to the front of the line yesterday before you quit that need to see you today. And once again, I think about somebody coming and saying something like that to me, I, I think my response would be something like, well, bless God, gather that crowd up and let me preach to them. But that's not the way Jesus responded. Mark chapter one, just listen. This was Jesus' response. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Now make sure you, you, you have in your mind the picture here. The disciples come and they say, everybody wants you. Everybody needs you. The town is ready to lift Jesus up on their shoulders and carry him around like a hometown hero. And Jesus says, let's go to the next town so I can preach there because that is why I came out. What is it? What is it that enables a person to have that kind of focus? What is it that enables a person to say no to self-glorification? What is it that enables a person to know when to continue ministry in a place and, and, and when to stop ministry in a place? What is it that enables a person to have that kind of direction in life? That there's always something that is guiding them, always something that is driving them. I would suggest to you it's a thing called calling. Jesus knew his calling. And when we come to this passage of scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1, we are reminded that we too have a calling that has been given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And listen to me, church, come in here real close. This calling will do the same thing for us. If we allow it to drive us, it be the lens through which we look at everything, it determines the decisions we make, it gives us direction, it, it provides the moorings that we need to remain steadfast, it, it, it becomes the criteria by which we, we, we make decisions, we say yes, we say no. Peter reminds us that we've got a calling on our life. You remember as mentioned in verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Did you hear it again in verse 10 down there when I read it a moment ago? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. Now, listen to me. Come in here real close. Don't get confused. This is not, this is not the calling like I have a calling to be a preacher. This is not the calling like you have to be a businessman or to be a housewife or, or to homeschool your kids or well, the, 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 the types of things that, that, that play out in our, sometimes the, the ways that we put bread on our table, it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the calling to, you know, verse three says life and godliness. The calling to glory and excellence, the calling to become partakers in the divine nature. What we're talking about here is the calling that God has placed on our life to be saved. God's call on our life to enter into his family, to become his child. This is the calling of our salvation. 
But I don't, I don't want you to see that this morning as just some nebulous, intangible thing out there that's some theological concept. I want you to hear the word of the Lord and understand that that calling is the thing that determines and drives everything that we do. So Peter's trying to give us some help under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to know how to navigate that calling. Two big picture categories in this passage of scripture. One, the obligation to your calling. Did you know you had an obligation to your calling? Number two, the, the validation of your calling. Now, now, before we jump into both of these and unpack them, I want you to know there is some help in this passage of scripture that, that, that may be applicable to some of your lives right today. It will be applicable to all of our lives at some point in our Christian journey. And that has to do with the assurance of our salvation. There's likely in a crowd this size, some of you that name the name of Christ came in here today and would say, you know, right now I'm, I'm wrestling with that. When I put my head on my pillow at night, I, I just don't know. I, this has happened or that's happened. And I'm, 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 I, I wonder sometimes if when I prayed to receive Christ or, you know, I made that decision if, if it was real. If you hadn't been there, you probably have been there. If you have, are there today, you've probably been there before. There will be times in your life when you find yourself. I think the word of God speaks into our lives with regard to the assurance of salvation. And I want to show you some things this morning that can clear that up. So let's talk first about the obligation uh, to uh, our calling. The, the, the phrase skin in the game is attributed to the great uh, American business financier, Warren Buffett. The first investment fund that Buffett uh, uh, compiled uh, really amounted to the, uh, eventually the, the amount of about $105,000. He solicited it from 11 doctors, but not before the philanthropist himself invested a meager $100 in the fund, $100. That $100 came to be known as Buffett's skin in the game. I want you to know something this morning. We come to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you name the name of Christ, if you are a Christian, you have skin in this game of your salvation. Now, the skin in the game that we have is not an investment we make in order to get something out. It is an investment we make because we have been the recipients of something. Did you see it there at the beginning of verse 5? For this reason. For what reason? For the reason that God has given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness and has set us on a path to become more and more like Jesus every day until the day he comes back when we will be like him because we will see him as he is and we will be partakers of the divine nature in the fullest sense. For that reason, Peter says, he says, look at it in verse five, make every effort to supplement your faith. Did you know, did you know as a believer in Jesus Christ that you have skin in this game? You have an ob obligation, you have a responsibility, you have a liability in this game of your salvation. Now I want you to see it from two different standpoints. I want you to see Peter's appeal that he makes and then I want you to see where he's aiming at, where he's trying to get us to in this appeal. 
Let's start with the, the appeal. And I want to use a different word than the root word if you've got one of those written outlines that we provided. I, actually, early this morning on, on both of these, the appeal and the aim, I, I, I saw something that I thought could be more clear in what we're saying. So here, here is the appeal. Be progressing in your faith. I think it says be growing in your faith. I like the word progressing better. Let me show you why. Look at verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he launches into seven character qualities that, 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 that are, are merely reflections, manifestations of the character of Christ in someone's life. Talks about the faith that we received when we, when we became Christians, when God called us, that we became people of faith. God birthed faith in our life. But look at this. Peter says, God never intended your faith to stay looking like it did the day you got saved. You understand that? God never intended for your faith to look just like it did when you got saved. Now, you, you got a faith that forgave you of your sins and, 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 and gave you the assurance that you're going to heaven, that the presence adopted you into God's family. But God never intended for it to stay. So Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith. Supplement your faith with virtue or practical godliness and supplement your practical godliness with knowledge. And by the way, that word knowledge there at the end of verse five is not the same as the one back up there in verse three. Up there in verse three, it's that full intimate knowledge of God that you got when you got saved. This is that experiential knowledge, that practical learned knowledge. And Peter says, add that to your virtue. Be learning and be growing and be experiencing in this and add to your knowledge self-control in verse six and to your self-control staying power, steadfastness, stability, and to your steadfastness, godliness, and add to your godliness, brotherly affection. Let the godness in you begin to be manifested with your brothers and sisters in Christ and unbelievers. Let it show up there. And to your brotherly affection, love. Add love, this agape love, this God love that is self-sacrificing and is, is, is interested in the good of other people as a primary motivating factor. But reach into verse eight and see something that really kind of, it kind of helps us understand why this list is there. For if these qualities are yours, which Peter implies that they are, and are increasing. Language of the New Testament, this word increasing is a word that means overflowing and abounding. Okay. So now take that idea and back up there into, into verses uh, five and six and seven and, and see what Peter is saying. Make every effort, he says, to supplement your faith with these things so that they are increasing and growing and your faith is being built upon and it is maturing and you are looking more like Jesus to the point that Jesus' character is just overflowing in your life. What is Peter talking about? He's talking about progressing in our Christian life. This is the obligation that you have to what God has done back up there in verse 3. This is the liability that I have, the responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ. If in verse three, his divine power has granted me all things that pertain to life and godliness, has set me on a track of partaking in the divine nature, to one day, ultimately, I will look like my brother Jesus, his son, and be an eternal worshiper in the family of God. If God has done that, 
then I've got an obligation. And that obligation is to see that fleshed out more and more and more every day that I live. Now, I don't think that verses five, six, and seven contain a magical list of seven. I'll tell you why. Some of the things on the list, like self-control, for example, are, are fruit of the Spirit. And there are many other things on this list that we see in other parts of Scripture as manifestation of God's character. But, you know, there's other fruit of the Spirit, like that are mentioned in Galatians 5, that are not on this list. I mean, like, why, why didn't he say joy, for example, add joy to this? Why didn't he say add peace to this? Why didn't he say add patience to this? Well, I think he implies he does include those things. I don't think the point is the specifics on here that we overanalyze to the point we try to find some magical formula of boxes to check off. I think the point is that he's saying you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility to grow and progress in my faith so that I look more and more like Jesus every day. I wanted you to see something in that verb in verse five there at the beginning when he says make every effort. Actually, this verb is gonna show up again in verse 10 when he comes to a, a plea at that point. But, but note, note it here, it's a word that means, watch this now, it means to exert physical and moral effort. Now, for some of us, there's a, there's a little tension when we come to a passage like this. We, we have strong convictions about the sovereignty of God in our salvation. After all, if verse three is true, God has given us all of these qualities. He's given us all of this stuff. He's done everything that is necessary for us to grow to look like Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden you come to verse five and Peter appeals to people to lean into that and to make everything physical, exert every physical and, and moral and spiritual effort to see that faith grow. You see, beloved, you've got a responsibility. You've got an obligation. You have a liability in your salvation, not to earn it, not to buy it, not, not to any way be the source of it, but as a result, in response to what God has done by his sovereign grace, this is what we are called to as believers in Jesus Christ. Peter is appealing for that to happen. Now let me show you the aim. This is what he wants. He's appealing for us to be progressing in our faith, but his aim is that we be productive in our faith. Look at it in verse 8. If these qualities are yours, assumption again is it is, and are increasing, they are abounding, they are overflowing, then they keep you from something. Now, Peter uses a positive ear in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours, I want you to look at verse 9, just to give you an idea of where he's headed, for whoever lacks these qualities, you've got a positive in verse eight, a negative in verse nine. He's comparing and contrasting. If you've got it, this is what it looks like. If you don't, this is the consequences of it. What does it look like? He says there in verse eight, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Now, now remember, he, he's, he, he's, he's, he's eliminating the possibility that you get verse three. 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and God is that you get those and you just are satisfied. Man, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. God's done it all. He saved me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And then that's it. Peter says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, growing from one degree of glory to another, they are increasing. Here's what happens. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This knowledge, again, is that intimate, full knowledge that you got when you got saved. Peter says, when you have these qualities and they are increasing, you are looking more and more like Jesus, you are growing in your faith, then what that means is they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your life. In other words, the implication is God's intent for you and for me is that our faith becomes productive to the point that it is affecting everything around us. It's overflowing. It's, it's, it's growing to the point that it abounds and it leaks out onto everybody else around us. That means the character of Christ, men, listen to me. It affects the way that we love our wives and respond to them. Ladies, how we respond to our husbands, how we love them. Kids, how we respond to our parents. Parents, how we treat our children. How we interact with fellow students at school. How we, how, how we have relationships with people that are on the job place. It, it, it affects how we respond when the guy cuts us off out, out, out on the highway. It affects everything that we do. It becomes productive. It begins to influence the culture. That's, that's the aim. That's what he's after. Look at the negative. Verse nine says, but whoever lacks these qualities, whoever lacks them, or let, let's just include in that because the context does, whoever claims to possess them and yet this this progression is not happening. This growth is not happening. This, this advancement is not happening in the character of Christ. Look at what he says. He says, that person is so nearsighted that they're blind. You know what it means to be nearsighted? Some of you are nearsighted, so you have glasses that uh, I, I, I'm nearsighted uh, and it affects me mostly at night when I'm driving, you know, seeing things at a distance. You're able to see things right in front of you, close at hand, but, but you, you can't see the big picture. You can't see distances. But the Holy Spirit through Peter takes that imagery and he applies it to an individual who professes to be a Christian. And I'm just gonna say professes at this point because this passage of scripture entertains the idea that there are, there are people that are doing this, that are legitimately saved. There are people that are not doing it that probably are not saved. I'm so glad that God didn't make me the knower of men's hearts. And I think, I think one of the reasons Peter leaves to some degree, some ambiguity here is because he didn't know either. He didn't know that every person that read his letter, whether they truly were saved or whether they weren't saved. So he wants to be clear. He wants to be clear to say if somebody lacks these qualities, they are so nearsighted that they're blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Translated, he's forgotten the gospel. He's forgotten what it took to bring him, to bring her to the place of knowing Christ. He's forgotten 
that his sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. It's forgotten that God has cast his sin into the sea of, of, of his forgetfulness. It's forgotten that there isn't anything he deserved, any rights that he has that weren't given to him and brought to him by the grace and, and, and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what that, that's a that's a big picture lens through which we look at everything in life. And Peter says, if you forget that, then all you're looking at is what you've got going on right here in your little circle, and all you're seeing is just your response to the guy that cuts you off, and 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 the the rift that's between you and your wife, or or, or the, the 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 disgruntledness that's taking place in in your life and in, in your employment. You're just seeing this down here, and you've forgotten. You've forgotten that you are a sinner saved by grace. And, 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 and you, you stop looking at everything in life through that lens. Just stop and think a moment. Stop and think a moment. If we really looked at every situation, every conversation, every reaction we have, if we looked at every one of them through the lens of, hey, God came looking for me when I wasn't looking for him. He loved me when I wasn't loving him. And he did everything that was necessary to bring me, a dirty, rotten sinner, on his way to a hell separated from God in eternity. And God interrupted that and rescued me from that. And he set my feet on solid ground through the work of Jesus Christ. Imagine. Think for a moment how you would react differently if you remembered that at every point. It'd change everything, wouldn't it? Now, all of us certainly are guilty of forgetting that from time to time. Peter speaks here of a person that's completely off their radar. There was a day when they prayed a prayer, they walked an aisle, they went through a baptistry, they joined a church. There was even a day when there was some manifestation that they were living like a Christian. But the time came where the gospel completely dropped off their radar. And they began living life, engaging in relationships, encountering people, going to work with a, from a nearsighted standpoint that they're just looking at the circumstances and the situation right here. And they've forgotten, they've forgotten what it means to be forgiven of sin, sin that would destine you to hell. And Peter comes to this place right here and he says, let that happen. Be increasing, be, be progressing in your faith to the point that your faith is productive. It's actually making a difference making a difference in your marriage. It's making a difference in, in, in the way you raise your children, the way you, 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 you carry out your job, the way that you plan your finances, the way you look at the future. It's affecting all of those things. Peter says we have an obligation to our salvation and the one who saved us to progress in our faith to the point that our faith is now productive. It is making a difference. There's the obligation. Let's think about the validation. Sometimes I take my wife to a nice restaurant where they have valet parking. You've been there. You get out of your car, you hand them the keys, and you're trusting people with your car while you go in and eat. And you, and you, you pay them for that and tip them or whatever the case may be. 
sometimes we go to restaurants where the restaurant shares parking spaces with other vendors and consequently they don't do valet parking, but they validate parking. In, in, in those situations, we go and we park our car and then we go inside and sometime either before we eat or after we eat, we get them to validate our parking and that way when we go out and we don't have to pay for the parking. Peter, in this passage of scripture, says to us, we've got an obligation in our, in, in our salvation to respond to it in such a way that there is growth and there is productivity and there is effectualness. But he also now takes that idea, listen to me, and he brings it into the realm of our confidence and our stability with our salvation. And listen to me, come in here real close. He says there's a relationship between the two. And consequently, every believer in Jesus Christ needs to validate their salvation. L let me show it to you. Peter gives it to us in terms of a plea and then a promise if we respond positively to that plea. Here is the plea. Be sure of your salvation. This is where he's bringing what he said before into this and, and saying, do, do, make, do this so that you can, you can be sure, you can be confident, and there won't be doubts in your life about your salvation. Look at what he says there in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, based upon what we've just said, be all the more diligent. Same verb as we find back up there in verse five. Exert physical and moral effort to confirm your calling and election. I think calling and election are very similar, synonymous terms in this context, if you will. The apostle Peter is saying, be diligent to confirm the calling God's placed on your life to be saved. Now, the word confirm is a word that means to be sure. Another word that's helpful is the word ratify. Ratify your salvation. And Peter is pleading with people not to be passive about this. Listen to me. Think about what I just said. Not to be passive about the assurance of your salvation. Why would he do that? Why would he say that? Why would he have to come to this place? Simply because he knows that neutral in the Christian life will breed doubting our salvation, kicking into the sameness and never progressing and growing and being productive in our salvation will breed doubt in our... So he says, exert moral and physical effort. Lean into this thing. Take action on it. Now, once again, let me remind you, we're talking about a salvation that has come our way by virtue of a sovereign God. Verse three, his divine power has granted us all things necessary for life and godliness. We've been given it all. But listen, as we come to this passage, believers in Christ, and remember, let me just remind you what we said last week about false teaching and, and, and how this is at the backdrop. Peter's speaking to people who are being invaded by false teaching, and he knows neutral Christianity combined with error that comes people's way, however it comes, is, is a seedbed for lack of assurance of salvation. And so he's saying, don't be passive about this. Lean into it. Be aggressive with this in order to be sure of your salvation. He gives a plea, but then he tells us that responding to this plea comes with a promise. In verse 10, in the middle of verse 10, he says, for if you practice these qualities. Notice how he's bringing in verses 5 through 9. 
progressing and being productive and our faith maturing and looking more like Jesus. He says, if we practice these qualities, then look at what happens. He says, you will never, ever fall. That image is no doubt tied to the end of verse 11 when he's going to talk about an entrance into the eternal kingdom. It carries the idea, comes from the idea of the sure-footedness of a big horse. The strength and the power and the stamina and a, a horse galloping along and the, the sure-footedness that is there. And he, and he says to Christians, if you, if you practice these things, if you grow, you, you progress and you mature in your Christian life to the point that the character of Christ is now affecting all that you do, it's overflowing and abounding, then guess what? You will never fall. You'll never fall. He opens the door here to suggest that there have been those that have fallen and there are those that do fall. All of us know them, right? Every one of us probably right now have someone in our mind that we know came out of the gate strong. When they said they were Christians, they said they were becoming disciples of Christ and maybe even for a season, they manifested some likeness to that, but somewhere along the way, they walked away from it. They turned their back on it. They denied it. Peter says that happens. He didn't, he's not saying people like that lose their salvation. Remember what we're talking about? Validation. He's just said, lean into this to confirm your salvation, to ratify it. He's saying someone that stumbles along the way, someone who falls and doesn't get up on their way to the kingdom that they've professed, never ratified, never confirmed, never validated their salvation, that they had the real thing in the first place. So in verse 11, he says, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. The idea of entrance is a theme that runs through the New Testament. Jesus talked about it a lot. Paul talked about it a lot. Peter's picking up on that right here and talking about this idea of getting in something that some get in and some don't get in. Some enter in, others don't enter in. He's assuming right now that the pe people that he's talking to are, are people that are on their way to that and he is saying to them, if along the way you will grow and progress and mature in your salvation to the point that the character of Christ is overflowing and it's now affecting every decision you make and every Every, every relationship you have, then along this way, you will never fall and you will enter into the kingdom. And, and he describes it here like, like a city welcoming a hometown hero that won the gold medal at the Olympics. Like the team that wins the Super Bowl, the NBA championship or the World Series. The parade is going, people are cheering. They're celebrating their arrival at home. And, and Peter says, this is what you have waiting for you. And if, if, if in your journey toward that, you would arrive at that place without having fallen, here's what it's going to need to look like. It's gonna need to look like a Christian faith that is not stagnant, but it is growing, it is progressing, and it is overflowing from one degree of glory to another to the point that it is affecting everything that we do. Peter says, you won't stumble in that, you won't fall, and you will arrive safely at your entrance into the kingdom with great fanfare, with great celebration. 
Listen, beloved, Peter is not saying here that we do this in order to earn our salvation. He's assuming salvation was given by God back up there in verse three. But he says, if this is not happening, there is stagnant Christianity, if you will. There is no growth. There is no progression. There is no faith that looks more mature today than it did the day that it first arrived in your heart then there will always be a question. There will always be a doubt on whether or not you've got the real thing or not. But if you've ever struggled with assurance of salvation, beloved, listen, I won't say here's an easy fix because he wouldn't use a verb, uh, you know, that's translated, make every effort, uh, moral and physical effort. I, I would never say here's an easy fix, but here is a simple fix. It is as simple as you and I maturing in our relationship with Christ, growing day by day, making every effort for that to happen, taking whatever steps, listen, men of God, husbands and fathers, taking whatever steps in our home and in our lives, we need to, to grow in our relationship with Christ and help our families to grow in our relationship, make every effort. Beloved, this will drive away doubt about your salvation. There won't be any question in your mind and you'll be able to put your head on your pillow at night knowing that you know that you are one of God's children. I know in seasons of doubt in my own life, I I could zoom out in a 30,000 foot view and I guarantee you, look and see, this was a season where I was not maturing and growing. I wasn't making any progress in my Christian faith. I was coasting And just depending upon where I had been to get me through. We come to attention here, attention of the sovereignty of God and our salvation and our human responsibility. Charles Spurgeon was once asked, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty in salvation and free will, man's responsibility? Spurgeon's response, I never try to reconcile friends. When you and I come to this passage, we come with great conviction about the sovereignty of God and salvation. But we see a friend here and that friend is our responsibility to lean into this thing, grow, be obligated to what God has done, but also validate what he's done in our lives in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Christian, I trust you're encouraged by the word of God today and strengthened in your faith. And I pray that it compels you and it compels me to go away from here ready to spend ourselves, not earning our salvation, but responding to it with our obligation and validating it so that there will never be any question in our minds or anyone else's minds that we are truly the people of God. If you're here without Christ today, God wants you to know this salvation. He wants you to know the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus has provided for that by living a life that you can't live, dying a death you should have died, rising from that death to give you back the life that you were created to have. You say, how do I get it? You get it by, through repent, repentance and faith. Change your mind about your sin. Change your mind about Jesus today and trust him to do for you what you can't do for yourself. That's forgive your sins and put the life of God back inside of you. 
If you're truly repentant, then he'll do this. And we invite you to do that right now, right there at your seat in your heart, in your own words, cry out to God, ask him to save you in Christ Jesus, give your life to Jesus. But I also wanna invite you to tell somebody that's what's going on in your heart. There's gonna be some pastors down here after I pray and when we stand and sing and they're here for you. Maybe you wanna slip out today and come down and tell one of them, I'm, I'm becoming a Christian. I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm trusting Christ, however you wanna say it. Or maybe you've got questions and you need to come and ask them about something I said or something you've read in the Bible, something somebody's told you, something that you need to get resolved so that you can respond to God's call on your life. So we invite you in just a moment to, to come while others around you are singing and, and let these brothers get connected with you. Lord, we pray for your help in this hour. We do pray that you would give us steadfast faith. Give us grace, God, to be rooted in our salvation with great confidence because we're growing and maturing and your life is being manifested in us. Give help, courage, and boldness to someone today who's trusting Christ for the very first time. We commend them to you. Ask you to draw them to yourself. Give them courage in Jesus. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.